Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. We're early February. It is after the Super Bowl. I don't know about all of you out there, but I'm having a relatively chaotic week in the day job. Little things like, you know, Iowa caucuses, State of the Union, impeachment, yet another debate. This show is about pop culture, not so much politics. And I got to tell you, dear Democrats, don't hold your debates on Friday nights. I have other stuff I want to do on Friday nights. Mickey, Jim. how are you doing? <laughs> no, Jim, it's all about you. Continue, please. Hi, everybody. Um, welcome back. Thanks for listening to us again. And as you can tell, Jim has had a rough time. And we are, as you said, into February, ending what felt like about a 57-day month of January. <laughs> January was a long year. Really long. Like, wow. And 2020 has been just off to a rip-roaring start, too. I think that that's something that, uh, you know, we thought 2019 was like, oh, God, um, bad. But the <laughs> the season of 2020 America is fantastic. Yeah, 2020 definitely said, hold my beer. Yeah, 2020 has been off to a rip-roaring start. And we have finally had the opportunity to sit down and uh, and to record and get some of these thoughts together that Jim and I have been talking about for a minute, but we're coming off of basically the biggest weekend um, in sports and obviously running right into poor Jim's biggest week in work for a while. Um, so Jim, it was Super Bowl weekend, mm-hmm. big lead up, big going into a lot of people discussing this game, whether or not it was going to be a good game, whether or not people were going to watch. Um, I started kind of participating early in the Super Bowl events this year in that I, I was interested. I always like the Pro Bowl events, and specifically, I like when they do the skills challenge. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, you so, are the audience for that. Yeah, so I'm the audience for the skills challenge, just FYI. That's me, me and four other people. Mm-hmm. And um, so I watched that for the Pro Bowl, and that was kind of like started my lead up to, you know, putting away my hurt feelings about the season and just kind of trying to get excited about the Super Bowl a little bit. Um, and moving in the in the good direction, so to speak. And uh, and in, as part of that Super Bowl week, one of the things that I realized was, um, and it, it was really random because I didn't find this out on anything other than just a random tweet, that J.J. Watt was going to be hosting Saturday Night Live. And for those of you who are not familiar with him, J.J. Watt is a linebacker for the Houston Texans, exceptionally popular, has done a great deal of good work in Texas, specifically after Hurricane Harvey. Um, but he is also the brother of our linebacker or edge, um, TJ Watt, and he has another brother named Derek Watt, who is also in the NFL. And to me, the Watt family is, you know, obviously we were familiar with the Mannings, and now there's the Watts, and there's the Long family. We also have brothers um, Terrell and Trey Edmonds on the Steelers, and they have another brother who plays for the Buffalo Bills. That whole family connection bloodline thing, I love it. I don't know why, but I could eat it up. A true expression of family values. Um, Mickey, I too watched, I think, at least the first, you know, half hour, 45 minutes of Saturday Night Live last weekend. Uh, I think T.J. Watt was quite funny, particularly the uh, opening monologue. Um, I didn't feel like the overall sketches were that strong. Um, Am I? Well, it's still Saturday Night Live, Jim. You can't expect miracles. Um, I thought that he did a great job with the monologue, as you mentioned. Um, A big, you know, salute to his family and his mom. Um, And I thought that was really, you know, again, handled very well. And he was actually funnier than a lot of actors have been and pulled it off with a little better timing. I would say the highlight skit of the night for me was Robbie. 
the parody of Rudy? <laughs> yes. You you and our listeners know that I am not a fan of Rudy. I think that it is the worst sports movie that has ever been made. Um, it is for losers. Hmm. And so the fact that they they made a move made a parody clip about this and called it Robbie. And JJ Watt was the one who stood up and said, No. <laughs> we don't want him to play because he's not good at football. That was a moment for me. Like my little heart grew three sizes that day. Uh, so maybe we should unpack this. So yes. Rudy, which is about Rudy Rudger, I believe the name is, is the name of the guy. Yes. Um, is you know this this scrawny uh, guy who's who, you know young man who's always dreamed of uh, playing for Notre Dame. His dad is an obsessive Notre Dame fan, um, and he you know isn't his grades aren't good enough, so he goes to community college. Goes to community college for two years, works really hard, ends up getting good enough grades to transfer to Notre Dame. Goes to Notre Dame. Tries out as a walk-on, and he's absolutely—you know—he's nowhere near big enough, nowhere near tough enough. But you know, by golly, he's got a lot of heart, and so he just practices hard every single day. And in his final game in his collegiate career, they let him play one play, right, on kickoff, mm-hmm. one down, and then they carry him off the field. And apparently, he is the only player to be carried off the field on the player's shoulders in the history of Notre Dame football. I think Sean Astin gives a great performance. It's it's a, it's not that great a football movie. It's a good life movie because it, as uh, Charles S. Dutton, the helpful hand, field groundskeeper, points out to him at one point, he's like, "Look, you know, when, when, he's thinking, when he thinks he's never going to play a, a single down mm-hmm. for Notre Dame, he's like, look, kid, you got an education. <laughs> you know, you got you you demonstrated that you 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 now have what it takes to to go out and and make something of yourself in life. Oh, and I think that's one what of the you things. Yes, I agree with you, but I also think that one of the reasons why Rudy is such a terrible movie is because Rudy is such a punchable character. Huh. Um, you think Sean Astin has a punchable face? Like, were you rooting against, were you rooting for Mount Doom in the Hobbit movies or something? No, in fact, in the Hobbit movies, I liked him better. I felt like Samwise Gandhi was, like, way, way better than Frodo. Okay. Um, so, no, so it's definitely not his punchable face. I think that he played a very punchable face guy. But that whole, like, I need, I deserve to be because I want it bad mm. enough. Not because I'm talented, not because I really earned it, but because I just showed up every day. They should give it to me. I, I don't care say, for that attitude. J.J. Watt was the voice of reason and reality in this scenario. Oh, I loved it. J.J. Watt was all of us. Like, no, why would you let this guy play in a champ? And then he was like, it's a playoff game. Yeah. He's need to win bad game. at football. <laughs> right. Like, he might be a great guy, yeah. but he's not good at football. We're not letting him play. U- using words we would not use on this podcast. but um, Correct. Yeah, and they, was, uh, yes, but I felt like that was really a great moment for him, a great moment for Saturday Night Live. I laughed out loud. If you have not seen this skit, I highly recommend go onto YouTube. It's called Robbie. Put in SNL, and you should be able to pull it up and watch J.J. Watt. And again, I felt like that was probably the highlight, but he did have a couple other skits that were good. I felt like he held his own. It is definitely not his fault that Saturday Night Live is not funny. Um, they're well, just I, not. I, yeah, we grade on a curve, right? I yes, mean, Eddie exactly. Murphy came in. Eddie Murphy <laughs> yes. comes in, and we're like, wow, this is going to be ex- – our, our expectations are set at a 10. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Eddie Murphy, you know, blew like Adam Driver was very funny a couple of weeks ago. Um you know, J.J. Watt, eh, okay, you, you lower your expectations. This guy doesn't do acting for a living, you know. So when he goes out and does a real pretty darn funny monologue, you're like, oh, hey, good for you, J.J. Watt. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, no, absolutely. I think that, yes, there's some expectation lowering. And that was a great lead-in, of course, into the, <laughs> the media circus 
that was Super Bowl Sunday. So I guess my first one, we'll get into, you know, both the commercials and halftime show, because I think listeners, if you've wondered, what are Jim and Mickey like when they don't get along? Well, <laughs> it's coming. Um, but before we get to that, going into the game, who, who were you pulling for? Were you were you happy with what you got? You know, were you excited? Were you, you know, amped up? You know? Well, I wasn't amped up because, of course, the Steelers aren't in it. Um, I was very, very surprised and pleasantly surprised by the Titans' performance of killing all of the evil of the playoffs. And so it was really awesome not to have Baltimore nor the Patriots there. That's right, listeners. I said it. Um, but so it was it was nice to see the Chiefs there. I, I don't have a great deal of opinion on the 49ers outside of the fact that I did not wish for them to win because then they would have six championships just like my Steelers do and also I tend to look at Jimmy Garoppolo and still see the Patriots so and I mean how can you not just kind of love Patrick Mahomes he's adorable I, I was gonna say first of all and I've watched he's super it. talented yeah. and it's like he's fun to watch because he's so talented that arm is like blessed by God yeah and so ultimately I found myself cheering for the Chiefs but it wasn't something that I was you know going to live or die over. I was just really happy that it turned out the way that it did. Although throughout, you know, it certainly was one of the better Super Bowls, in my opinion, as far as actual football play yeah. that we've seen in a long time. Yeah. So first of all, um, I was watching with a Steeler fan who had a, that exact mentality of we can't let the, the Niners win another Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, my preference, I had a slight preference for the Niners, mostly because I wanted Bill Belichick and the Patriots to have traded away a quarterback who went on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> that was going to be my way of rubbing the Patriots' noses it's in it. As that, is, they it's did important not. It really... that, you have, that we have good, valid reasons for cheering for these teams. Well, they make me feel bad about the Patriots. Yeah. They, I'm cheering for them because of the Patriots. Like, having somebody to hate, it can be almost <laughs> as much fun as having somebody to root for, you know? like. And you see, oh, but, yeah. I, you know, again, I don't think there are that many people in the country, other than if you play the, you know, the Chiefs are in your division. I don't think there are that many people who are Chiefs haters. And I think the Niners, after being, you know, they're a, they're a fresh, new, good team. I don't think there are that many people who hate the Niners. No, I think unless you're talking to like a Broncos fan, you're probably yeah. not going to find an obsessive amount of Chiefs hate. Um, and the Niners, I think that they have more hate from just other teams that are over there on that coast with them. Um, that kind of share their space, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's not, you know, again, yeah, like, they're not, it's not like the Cowboys are in, it's not like people who, you know, have a tendency yeah. to draw the ire, you know, if it's a Cowboys Patriots Super Bowl, pretty much everyone's turning off their TV and just hoping for, you know, an asteroid. Rooting for a meteor to see, yeah, you know. exactly. um, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody likes Andy Reid, everybody's happy to see him win. Um, I was actually really shocked to see that the ratings went up in the end of the third and fourth quarter. So as the game got tighter, people obviously were hearing about it and tuning in. Okay, so this is interesting because that's a segue to maybe maybe a good segue to the ads. Okay. You and I felt like it was a, it was a mixed bag for ads, some good, kind of meh. And you and I both agreed, like if you're going to have a good ad, I want to see it in the first either pregame, mm-hmm. first half or halftime. Because mm-hmm. by the second half, by the second half, I want to watch the game. I, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm not good at multitasking by that point. <laughs> You know? Well, and again, usually people have had a couple cocktails. So I, I think that the timing of the ads is very crucial to their success. Let's, let's just say that in that if you want to have a more messaged, nuanced ad, you want to put that in the pregame first quarter. 
if it's much more about humor and visuals, then you can get away with that a little bit later on, I think. Um, but what we saw this year was a really bad mix of people pulling at different emotions and not always hitting the right keys. Yeah, I mean, probably you know, that, that's probably a good segue to the Google ad. First of all, okay. I don't think serious ads work well. And I, first of all, first of all, wherever you are in the political spectrum, I don't think people watching the Super Bowl really want to watch a political ad. That, that's, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, what Bloomberg, Trump, sorry, you know, I thought Trump's ad was pretty good. I just think, you know, again, people are not, I don't think they're mentally tuned in to their, you know, who am I going to vote for type mentality. I just, you know, as a side note on the two political ads, because I know we're not going to talk about them. I thought it was interesting that when the Trump ad came on, there was some grumbling in the room, but nobody like said anything out loud. Whereas when the Bloomberg ad came on, which was again later in the game, people literally got up and left like that. They got up and got drinks. That was (laughs) the moment. Um, I did notice that. And I thought that was kind of interesting just because, again, based on the mood, people are like, I don't want to hear it like right now. Um, And so I think they would have had more, you know, again, they they ran the the ragged old flag, um, which they've pulled out a couple different times for different things. And they pulled out and created a brand new Super Bowl introduction with it. And I think that that was something that tugged at a lot of heartstrings. You know, the Patriot heartstrings are being pulled and they pull the flag out. Everyone gets excited about that. Um, You can get away with that earlier. But the later the game goes, the more people are more either into the game or they're into the bottle. And either way, they don't want to be lectured at that point. And um, which leads me to, I guess we'll start with Google. Um, and I think that Google may have failed more epically with their time than most. Although there were some really significant fails on my part. What did you think when you saw that Google ad? And how would you describe it to someone? If you would, who has not seen the Google ad, how would you describe that to them? Well, emotionally manipulative comes to mind. Okay, um, but you have to describe the ad itself. Sure. Well, no, I think the ad was emotionally manipulative. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, there oh, you go. Oh, but the oh. idea is that it's someone talking to their Alexa and recalling things that went down with their now deceased wife. So an old man. Yes. This is, you know. so immediately I'm like, this is the old guy from up talking to his Alexa. And you know, I hate that movie too. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Hate that movie. And that's Big what this reminded movie. me of. Yes. And basically Jim, what did you take away from well, the Google? It, it certainly ad? sounds like he's got issues with Alzheimer's. He's starting to lose his memory. And, you know, he's saying, Alexa, show me, you know, vacation pictures and things of memories of him and his wife. Uh, and it's it's just heartbreaking. Um, and he's kind of chuckling as he starts to remember things because of the pictures. And they went to Alaska and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it just it it, it is weep inducing. Right. You know, it's, you know uh, people losing their spouses is very sad. People losing their memory is very sad. Relying on Google. To remind you of these things strikes you like I, I know Google's trying to say, look, we're not just secretly recording you through our devices. Mm-hmm. We're not just secretly storing every bit of information about you. It's inconceivable. We don't, you know, we have access to all your search history, including the ones you thought were private and your email. But don't was, worry, we're totally not going to destroy you someday. Well, um, I was just about to ask you if anyone in the room where you were watching it had not only the, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Why are they trying to like make us sad during the Super Bowl? But also immediately followed up with, hey, did Google just admit that they basically have all of our information and, you know, can recall it at any time? Uh, it, you know, I, and I, I, suddenly the room got very chilly. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, over in the corner, Alexa said, don't worry. <laughs> As you age, I will be here for you. Um, yeah, I, 
I just, you know, it didn't necessarily go in that direction. I also think, by the way, the Facebook ad, which featured, was it Chris Rock in some sort of like um, Rocky jogging club or, or boxing on the, on, the, on the Rocky steps in Philadelphia? Yes, yes, the club. Like, did, was it just me or was the subtext of that one? Hi, we're Facebook and we swear we're doing more than just ruin the world. Uh, you know, again, I'm not sure that any of these particular companies should even bother advertising during the Super Bowl. Their brand is pretty well known. We are all up in your business and your business is our business. That's how we like it. Yeah. Google, like, we're recording everything. But when you need stuff, you, you when you need to find stuff, you use us. So, yeah. Well, and again, the, the first reaction was, what is this? That was the, to the Google. Then followed immediately, as, as you said, it was sad. Then, of course, the, oh, my God, they're listening and recording everything we do. This doesn't help. And then followed immediately with some discussion of, have you guys seen that movie with Joaquin Phoenix? And I think it's called She or Her. And we're like, yeah, we're following yes. off the phone. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, this is how this starts. And, you huh. know. <laughs> and once we add it to robots, yeah. It's... Right? Like, mm, I'm not sure how this works, but. I felt like Google missed the mark. And interestingly enough, earlier, um, before the Super Bowl, you had actually said, and I think retweeted, the Budweiser ad. Yeah. And, and you felt the typical American ad. And you thought, this was it. This was a great ad when it came out before the Super Bowl. And you watched it in a standalone position. How did you feel about it when you saw it where it aired? I may have been coming back from the bathroom at that point. Um, okay. But I, I don't feel like it was nearly the same punch. It was nearly the same. No, uh, they made the mistake of running it right around between third and fourth quarter. Mm. And as you won, up, moving, going to the bathroom, of course, definitely. But also, what else did I just say? People don't want to be lectured to. They were made feel sad. They want to think about students too hard, and they've been drinking. And I felt like Budweiser, if they wanted to go with that ad, should have put that ad way earlier in the day and stuck with something a little more... Yeah. User friendly, we'll yeah, say, you know, towards the end because yeah. people are literally like, "What? What? What are they yeah. talking about?" Let's what also we... point out, like, the message was had very little to do with the beer, right. and very much to do with, "Hey, America, we're pretty darn good." You know, yes. here's some you know some videos of, of, of ordinary Americans doing good things. Now, of course, that makes you feel good, and it does. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the way, I think you know just in general, I I would play for public service announcements like this running you know on a regular basis. Hey, America, you're going to hear a lot of you know, oh, you're fat, you're selfish, you're mm-hmm. materialistic, you're yes. you know, you're decadent. <laughs> no, America, you're awesome. You know, I, I'd be fine with ads like that. It doesn't necessarily make me want to drink Budweiser. Mm-hmm. But you like hearing it. Because when they're talking about ordinary Americans, let's face it, Budweiser, it's a very ordinary beer. I yes. don't hate it, but I don't, it's, it's rarely going to be what I'm re- reaching for the first, you know, if I have many options. Absolutely. I, I like the Jeep ad with the Bill, um, Bill Murray and the Groundhog kind of recreating the Groundhog Day effect. I thought that was funny. I know you were not a fan. No, I, I, I liked it. I do think it was the irony. Uh, first of all, and you and I had discussed this uh, before we started taping. I do like the movie, and I subscribe to the uh, idea put forth by my former colleague Jonah Goldberg in a cover piece in National Review. Like, this is actually one of the most philosophically deep movies, certainly a comedy that you will find, because it's all about uh, Bill Murray's character's need to learn to live a better life, right? And there's all kinds of themes of reincarnation and what is the purpose, and he only gets to move on to have, enjoy a different day when he learns to live his life trying to to serve others, when he begins to look beyond himself and not be a selfish, obnoxious jerk. It's a great message. And then Jeep comes along and says, nah, he just needed a, the right kind of car. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like it's funny. Oh, this is and actually the perfect the- ad for us to discuss before the next segment. But let okay. me just say this. As you know, I don't like a lot of lessons in my comedy. So when Groundhog Day first came out, even though I was from that area and actually have been to Gobbler's Knob and I have seen Punxsutawney Phil in person, um, which was a great time, by the way, I was not someone who was immediately enamored with this movie. One, Annie McDowell's in it, and I think she's funny looking. I don't know how to explain it outside of the fact that she's funny looking. Um, I find her like very distracting when she isn't things. Um, however, I do like Bill Murray and I really like the groundhog. Um, <laughs> there's a gif of Bill Murray and the groundhog that I love to use on the regular because that's like my favorite thing. You know, I love little talking animals, things mm-hmm. of that nature. So it took me a while to even come around to liking Groundhog Day, the movie. Um, and I, and only in passing, I can't, I, I don't think I could sit and watch it from beginning to end even now. Um, however, when I saw that ad, I laughed hysterically because it was all my favorite parts of the movie, which was mm-hmm. Bill Murray and that groundhog. Yeah. And the rest of the people were just kind of there as props, even in the movie. Yeah. And so to have the Jeep introduced as just something else they could play with, I, I, perfect. And I heard somebody, I I heard someone suggest that, you know, well, only Bill Murray could make that funny. I'm like, well, right, because only Bill Murray made the first one funny. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Well, duh. Who else are they going to put in that? Having his, uh, you know, Ned Toblowski, uh, uh, you know, come back to play the role of the guy on the street who recognizes him. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray's brother, Brian Doyle Murray, played the. Uh, the the mayor in that movie, and he's been a you know a Hollywood actor for a bunch of years. So they he came back, right? Mm-hmm. So everything is you know as it was. Um, you know, again, it was a perfectly amusing. Ad I didn't realize that was Bill a, a, Murray's brother. Yeah, yeah, Brian Doyle Murray. I had no idea. There you go. That guy's been in all kinds of things. Yeah, uh, and they don't look a ton alike or anything. Um, no, but now that you say it, I can see the similarities. There you go. Yeah. So again, uh, perfectly enjoyable. Uh, I'm trying to think what other ads I liked. Uh, you didn't like the big uh, uh, Procter and Gamble. We own everything, and all of our characters are coming I, together. Oh. No, I found that one to be honestly, it was just a little busy for me. I felt like it needed more focus. I I think they, you know, got into that crossover thing a few years yeah. ago, and they did that like everything's a tied ad, and that was kind of clever. But this one just felt like overload to me. Like it needed a little more focus. I, however, did love the baby nut. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't care what you say. I liked him. He's cute. He's I am the target market because I was immediately like looked at Mr. Bias and said, I'm going to need one of those. I can't wait until baby Yoda comes along and just force jokes that little peanut. <laughs> <laughs> there is only one God of cuteness and it is baby Yoda. Um but he came alive much more like Baby Groot. Yeah. Than Baby Yoda. Yeah, because the whole thing about like they were killing off Mr. Peanut. Just yeah. like I think some of these ads, it's just starting to feel manipulative. Oh, speaking of manipulation, um, Mickey, did you figure out? Did you find a new way to hate Tom Brady? <laughs> yes. And when that ad came on, if you guys don't know, Tom Brady tweeted out a picture of him standing in what appeared to be Gillette Stadium, black and white, just kind of, you know, yeah, standing like at the end of the hallway. Picture. The only oh, thing absolutely. was farewell, you know, my friends in New England, you know, like, 
Yes, they totally look like one of those bye 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 pictures and you know, the I'm retiring pictures to the point where everyone was buzzing about it. People on the NFL network were trying to decide if he was looking forward or looking backwards and they were trying to determine exactly what this picture meant. And I even thought Adam Silver tweet out that he had spoken to Tom Brady's agent to confirm that the picture had nothing to do with Tom Brady's future. Right. So now here, which was a little unusual, right? Like, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. certainly that image. But here's, now here's the next big question. Mickey, what was Tom Brady's sp- spokesman for? Oh, I know this only because I know this. But it was Hulu and live TV. And here's okay. the thing. The minute the ad comes on and we realize we've all been suckered by his social media people in our and there's not a patriots fan at our party so everyone loses their mind and they're yelling at the tv and cursing cursing at tom brady um and then i find out later that as karma i would like to call it karma um as karma moves forward hulu and live tv crashed right before that ad came out (laughs) and i feel like that was really like God looking down, being like, don't, don't mess with us, Tom Brady. We don't have time for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so that was, that was, I really enjoyed the Genesis ad. Uh, the, it, with Chrissy Teigen and John Legend. I thought that was cute. Um, I think it was like a really good ad the car? for them. Yeah. It was a good ad for them and an okay ad for the car. Fair. Oh, fair, fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there were some very clever and some very well done ads. The Doritos ad where you had Lil Nas X. Yes, doing the dance Sam off with Elliott. Sam Elliott. Like, that's pretty amazing. Um, some of that was really good. Oh, oh, um, Aquaman, Jason Wong. Yeah, yes, yeah. and he peels off his body. Like, all of that was very, very good. Um, I'd love to see the creativity that goes into it. I thoroughly enjoy the ads, even the bad ones I like talking about, as you know. Um, but I think this does lead us into what we have considered kind of um, the territory of the landmines. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm going to actually, so yes, the halftime show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, I did not expect to have that strong an opinion about, and you know, for, for, you know, look for you, uh, you know, we're, we're watching over friend's house. Uh, all of, both of our families have sons ranging from. Why don't you describe years- the halftime show? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You, I want you to describe the halftime oh. show as you saw it. Okay. Um, by the way, looking was looking forward to it. I'm a fan of Shakira. I'm a fan of more or less a fan of Jennifer Lopez. Um, I know that when they come to put on a show, they're going to put on a show. They're going to show off their bodies. They're going to dance a lot. They're going to sing a lot. Um, by the way, a separate issue, which maybe we can jump into, is whether halftime shows like it feels like you're watching a greatest hits album or you're listening to a greatest hits album on fast forward. Like they do like one, one, you know, uh, stanza from each, you know. Uh, right. You know, it's called a medley. Medley. Thank you. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know I thought Shakira was terrific. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, hip gyrations, et cetera, but fine. Uh, J-Lo comes out. Uh, the, the clothing <laughs> is scanty, scantily, as you know, as they say. Um, and I was just. As as it progressed with a certain amount of hip, thru- hip thrusting and, you know, crotch coming towards the camera and such, I'm kind of glad that my sons are upstairs and I know mm-hmm. the other family I was with. You know, now here's the thing, because I, I, after you and I had our first conversation about this in which you thought I was some sort of, you know, bizarre Puritan, 
Yes, uh, I believe that's what I called you. Yes, I think yeah. Tears was just one of the many names. That I he needs to get in touch with his sexuality. <laughs> because our, our, our podcast is not body or <gasps> discussing these topics. Um, there's a recognition that uh, uh, I can enjoy this. Different, different things for different audiences. All right, first After of all, will you at least admit yeah. that what really made the hair on the back of your pearl clutching neck stand up was when the poll came out you know honestly i think it was the sliding towards the camera vagina first that seemed to be the the one where i was like oh okay this is how this kind of show it's going to be so i mean and again i need to you okay first of all listeners mm -hmm. it's very important for me to explain to you that visual of her sliding towards the camera she's dancing she runs and she slides right so it's technically knees yeah. first. You were just focused on her vagina. And oh, then okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's technically knees first. However, it's something that's been done by, I think, everyone who's ever performed at the Super Bowl ever, but most definitely done by Steven Tyler and Prince and was even possibly done last year by Maroon 5 because he tore his shirt off and did that slide thing. Okay. And yeah. so... My first thing is to call you a sexist, obviously. Ah, okay. Um, Jim, you're obviously a sexist because her sliding towards the camera is no different than anyone else sliding towards the camera. So I'll start off by telling you how wrong you are about that. Then I will lead into what I heard most people complaining about initially was the poll. Like, oh, my God, there's a pole dancer. We have strippers on TV. Look, yeah. there's a pole. There's a pole. And as I said to you when we first discussed this, these are the same women who go and pay good money or get their coupon off of Groupon to go to pole dancing classes in their local suburb. Mm-hmm. So a, I feel a, like there's a, a very, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of, a lot of, I think people are almost saying like it's knee jerk reaction by some, not all, but by some to oppose it without even having a chance to absorb it or realize what they're opposing. Yeah, there's need. There's immediately like this is bad. Okay, I got a three, a three pronged counter argument. Although I will, I will acknowledge a you can dance around dancing around a pole is not necessarily a stripping, right? It's not like you know, she changed outfits. I don't think she removed and got more scantily clad as it went on, right? No, in fact, she did change outfits. She had the leotard, the dance tart on underneath the first outfit, but when she disappeared after the first like little bit in yeah. the black outfit. She came back out in the dance right. Correct. Yeah, it's it's not. It was not a striptease like that. That's correct. You know, you know. And she also just did a movie that she produced and and starred in called Hustlers, yeah. which was about and, and I think strippers. Probably so. a lot of people's minds jumped to that, and maybe that is what fueled the the contra- You know, some of the controversy around this. Um, I will point out that what, after you and I had our initial conversation and disagreement about this. In one of the online chats that I'm in, somebody said, look, if Republicans want to act like John Lithgow and Footloose, I can't stop them. Now, Mickey, and as a few times I've ever said to somebody, that's a BS argument. And here's why. First of all, is anyone saying Jennifer Lopez or Shakira should be punished for this? Mickey? Have I struck you speechless? No, no, I struck myself speechless. Um, I think that there's a great deal of shaming, though, that goes on. Okay. And so 
that, I haven't heard anyone calling for FCC fines. I haven't heard anyone calling for you no, know. No, right? but it's not. It's not about that. It's, I oh, mean, look, let me let me let me finish my point, and then I'll I'll, I'll be walking. Okay, Liskow, continue. Totally return fire, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is that um, this is not a matter of people calling for the government to step in or over the. There's simply a question of was this kind of entertainment appropriate? And I think you know you're thinking back to the. The controversy of Janet Jackson going back to, you know, a whole bunch of years. Is the Super Bowl and is the NFL family entertainment? There are a lot of times when the National Football League wants to say, yes, absolutely. This is something you can bring your kids to. This is something that's okay for everybody. Yeah, it's a violent game. Yeah, you might see somebody get hurt or get a concussion or something like that. But it is not Game of Thrones. It is not um, Sopranos. It is not something that is meant to be consumed by mature audiences only. As people know from this podcast, and you know me, I enjoy things that are designed for mature audiences as much as the next guy. I would like to know if something's going to have something that's not appropriate for all ages, tell the parents and the audience first. I think that's that's the only request I want to put out there. Let me ask you a question, Jim. When you heard that Shakira and Jayla were going to be doing the halftime show. Yeah. No, exactly. No one was expecting nuns' outfits. No one was expecting, you know. Uh, I'm just saying, like, this purpose. requires a little no. bit of personal responsibility on the part of the parent. No, but as luck would have it, my boys playing upstairs didn't have an issue, you know. Like, it, you know, again, I, I don't. And think again, that, I would argue too that the halftime show actually didn't begin until after 8:30, or after 8 o'clock rather. And so I feel like one, most of your younger kids are going to be in bed by then. Two, this is still an issue of parent parental responsibility. You know what the halftime show is going to be. If you are such a prude that it's going to bother you, if you see healthy women right. in their forties and fifties, yes, I do actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got all okay, kinds of names for you. Exactly. Fine. I'm a hussy. That's fine. <laughs> I'll own that. I'm okay with that because I understand like what I saw, and it was again Shakira and J Lo performing who are women who are 43 and 51, by the way. These aren't young girls being taken advantage of. These are women who have had complete control of their careers from the very beginning. Yeah, take that strong man. These these women are exceptionally strong, and they also happen to be really good dancers. Like, that's their big thing. So you knew it was her song. Shakira's song was Hips Don't Lie. Like, the one that most people know, right? Mm-hmm. So you knew that was going to be, she was going to be shaking her hips. Without a doubt, that was going to be happening. Um, as far as her outfit goes, as I showed you, it appears that she dressed as like her character in Zootopia. Uh, and Mickey, did you see Zootopia? I, I did not. Okay, well, first of all, that is pure, pure bestiality pornography. I'm just letting you know mm-hmm. that now. I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet you've seen it, though. Oh, yeah. I did. We watched mm-hmm. it with the boys were younger. With the boys, right. So her outfit was fine when it was on a llama? Exactly, yes. Is, oh, is that what she was? was? Perverse llama, Mickey. No. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. Um, I felt like J-Lo was dressed in very appropriate dance wear. And in fact, um, you and I had this conversation. So I went back and looked at some different things. And come to find back, find out that the outfit that J-Lo has on, um, or had on at the Super Bowl, was very, very similar to an outfit that, I know you're going to be shocked by this, Taylor Swift war during her 1989 tour which would have been in 2014 so a good five six years ago she was running around in the exact same outfit and giving concerts for very very young children because Mm -hmm. it's a taylor swift concert 
So again, I also think that maybe it's because you have boys, but anyone who has young girls that have gotten into dance, like they all wear those kind of nude looking dance suits, but everything's covered. It's just an imagery thing. Mm. Um, So it's not as though you actually have your skin exposed. And it's something that I think dancers become very, very comfortable with. But obviously, there are some in America who still don't seem to understand how that works. I also thought it was fantastic that she used this opportunity to introduce the world to her daughter, Emmy, who came out. Um, She's 11 years old, and she sang beautifully. Um, But also interesting, Emmy had a sweatshirt on and sweatpants. So she was not all super sexualized at all. So if you did have a child that was watching, you saw the difference between grown-ups and kids. Yeah. Well, what you're what you're laying out there, Mickey, I think is probably the crux of the issue, right? No one objects when you see a performance like this at the Grammys or the MTV Music Awards or any other programming that everybody knows is pretty much for adults and maybe teenagers, right? I'm, I'm going to go out and bet that I watch a lot more children's television than you do. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right? Okay. So, you know, you don't see outfits like that. You don't see, you know, dance moves like that. Um, and when you do see things that get into uncomfortable areas, did you think, not just tell me that she wore the same outfit that she had on in Utopia, Zootopia? An animated llama. <laughs> I just keep in mind that it's still a visual that your child has seen and has many, many children have seen, and they've normalized it. Okay, look. <laughs> <laughs> I th- <laughs> this, this has really gone into absurd directions. Mickey. Hey, only what's going because on with I will not, only because I will not cave to you. I will not bend the knee, listeners. I, I will not cave I to wouldn't Jim expect Parody. you to, but I also would point out that, like, again, I think parents, uh, parents of, of younger children have a different perspective on this. And all we're asking for, at least all I'm asking for. And, there are and as they should, and they have that right, put your kid to bed, turn the channel. Mm. Oh, all I want is forewarning. And you have a fair point to say that, she, look, it's Shakira and J-Lo. It's not going to come out looking like the girls from um, Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, you knew that. And they yeah. announced pretty early on that J-Lo and Shakira were going to be the halftime show. So, like, I feel like if you thought that it was going to be something else, you yeah. just haven't been paying attention for, like, I the last two decades. I don't think the people decades. objecting are necessarily prudes or anything. I just think that NFL's got... It's trying to appeal to two different audiences who have two different uh, stand- – there are certain things that are appropriate for some audiences that are not appropriate for younger audiences. It was a huge and- hit at our Super Bowl party. Now, granted, oh. our well, kids were primarily there? adults, okay? Primarily Probably. adults. Were any kids there? There were some babies and a few, like, teenager oh. types. Okay. Right. Um, however, again, it was a hit at our party with the people that were there, and everyone there had kids, whether their kids were with them or not. I don't doubt um, that. Now, this is entirely separate whether that, it was a good uh, halftime show. And I think by you know by the standards of grown-ups, it was a very good halftime show. Well, I thought it was a great halftime show. My sister thought it was a great halftime show. Most of the people in the room that we were with thought it was a great halftime show. It wasn't until probably five, ten minutes later that Mr. Bias said, after he uh, <clears throat> apparently recovered, no. was able to speak again, <laughs> um, he said something to the effect of, I enjoyed the halftime show, but I'm not sure I would have liked watching it with my nine-year-old kid. And oh, right. yes, and then the room turned on him and booed. Uh, boo! No. Boo! Because that's what we Tobias. do, and I no. don't have mature friends, but that is what we do. So, 
it, it's not as though it, it did surprise me though. It really did surprise me when I logged onto Twitter and saw people just, you know, burning yeah. down the Super Bowl because I, I would not dispute that there was a, a certain amount of overreaction, and it's really not comparable to oh no, people overreacting Jan- online. Janet, yeah, yeah, but it's not. You know, it was not Janet Jackson, right? And by the way, I remember everyone being flipping out about Janet Jackson because of the uh, the, the ripping. Nipple ring. Right, the the the, yes. the the nipple ring, the violent, the, the implied sense that he's tearing off her clothes. Um, but I think people forget all of the background singers were all in a very latexy S and M y adult mm-hmm. entertainment. Right, like right? the, the, like that, the, like the ripping thing was like the um, inappropriate metaphor climax. Um, <laughs> you know, like like the whole thing. And apparently, my understanding was CBS had it that year. Viacom was the parent company. Viacom had MTV put it together. Yes. And MTV put something together that was just not appropriate for programming that's going to have everybody from age, from ages like 5 to 95 watching. I will always be angry about that Super Bowl, not because of the nipple thing, um, but because they missed such a golden opportunity to have. They had Nelly there. They had Murphy Lee. They were doing Shake Your Tail Feather, which was the hit song of that, you know, of that era at that time. And in there, there is a line that says she's a young Janet Jackson, live and living color. Why they did not have Janet Jackson shoot up through the floor at that moment. Mm. I will never forgive them for that missing what would have been like a absolutely epic Super Bowl moment. And they missed it and instead gave us that tit thing. So uh, now that we have dated ourselves, maybe to mm-hmm. wrap this all in a bow, Mickey, mm-hmm. you know, like you do that moment where you recognize we are in the prime demographic for the Super Bowl advertisers. When MC Hammer pops up <laughs> and he's saying you can't touch this because the guy's got Cheetos, you know, orange on his fingers. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, that, that was pretty uh, good. The guy from Breaking Bad doing uh, The Shining, right? Mm-hmm. If you are late generation X, early or late boomer, early generation X, or somewhere in that, most of the programming, like stars who have not gotten much play in like 20 years, pop up in Super Bowl ads. Because mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, hey, no, it's Hammer, you know. Definitely. In fact, my sister thought that this particular halftime show was for her. She was what you would consider an elder millennial. Mm. Um. And, you know, she's on the older end of the millennial scale. However, she absolutely felt like the halftime show was for her, that this show, this was programmed for her. She was she was up and dancing and singing along and she knew all the songs and she was so happy. Um, so I think that that's significant. One of the other things that I wanted to hit on real quick on the halftime show is, you know, it really changed the way we watched the Super Bowl. And that started really, obviously, in the early 90s. And our friend Liz, we've talked about her on the show before, mm. um, Love the Puck at, at Love the Puck. Um, Jim and I will interact with her. You see us on Twitter. But she and I were discussing uh, the other day the fact that, you know, the one we really remember the most as far as, like, the first halftime show that impacted anything or us was the Michael Jackson show. Mm-hmm. And it is my understanding now, kind of reading back on NFL history, that that was a big gamble for the NFL because they had to pay him a lot of money. But they were also looking to kind of change the way the Super Bowl, this was during the beginning of the Tagliabue years, yep. changing, you know, changing the way the NFL related to people, making it more of an event um, and not just a sporting event, but a major event and, a, you know, a major concert event as well to have someone that big performing. And I remember the Michael Jackson performance. Do you remember that? 
Yeah. Well, okay. Now, maybe we can go back, I believe, one or two previous years. In Living Color, doing a live halftime, you know, their own counter-programming to the halftime. Back when, you know, back in the 70s, you know, the Super Bowl halftime show used to be like up with people, right? And these, these you know, rather than having analysts talking about what you'd just seen in the first half, mm-hmm. you know, by the way, in Living Color, you want to, first of all, Jennifer Lopez, young dancer on the right. show, right? She was a fly girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about a cast that ended up doing a ton, you know, from mm-hmm. Jim Carrey, Damon Wayans, Keenan Ivory Wayans, mm-hmm. um, David Allen Greer. I mean, just a solid cast top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And they did, you know, this this one, you know, it was only going to be about 20 some minutes and they were going to do it live. And, you know, they kind of dared America click away from the Super Bowl. And I think they did it. They did it on mm-hmm. a level where, you know, like the, the other networks noticed. So it's like, okay, how do we get people watch, to not change a channel during the Super Bowl? Because a lot of people pay a lot of money to run ads during the, during the halftime. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to put on one of the biggest concerts you've ever seen because we have one of the biggest audiences there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's in some ways you kind of surprised it didn't happen sooner. But, you know, was, right. But it didn't. And that was really kind of the beginning of a, a, a new era for the Super Bowl, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it continues to grow. And it's usually, you know, a very coveted spot. That's one of the things I found so fascinating about Emmy's performance at the Super Bowl is that most people as a performer would like that would be the pinnacle of their career. Like, I want to perform at the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be like, I sang first publicly at the halftime show. Yeah, that's a good point. Kind of a, it's all downhill from here, kid. Um, yes. um, but yeah, but I think that that's, you know, I think that it's significant to know, and maybe this goes along with what you're saying, but I still don't agree with you, in that they have made it much more into an event than just a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that I personally think that people just like to get upset about things. They like to hear themselves bitch. There's an Um, element of the outrage industrial complex needed new grist for the mill. And that was, uh, that was at work here. The only thing I'm going to point out is that, you know, you talk about the great performers. You usually get at least like a half dozen to a dozen performing at the Grammys, right? Mm -hmm. You usually get uh, MTV Music Award, any big show. But at the Super Bowl, there's really only one headline performer. This is kind of an unusual one that you had too, right? Well, see, usually there's actually more. And okay, other people kind of making cameos. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They have people popping up and making more. And there were actually two other performers there that no one knows who they are. Um, the, yeah. the, the two rappers, and one is called Bad Bunny, and I'm not even going to try to pretend like I know what the other one's name is. Um, but they, there were other performers there. I just think they were completely unrecognizable to probably 90% of the population. Yeah. Gentlemen, no one came to watch you. Yeah, exactly. And like people even noticed they were there like, hey, there's a rapper or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'm so in love with Jennifer Lopez as it is. Like she's, as you know, on my list. Hmm. Um, so it, it, for me, it was a great show. I know that people are going to get upset about things because that's what they do. Um, but I, I just didn't expect everybody to flip shit over it. Well, you know, uh, by the way, thank you, listeners, for, for being understanding about that. Um, I'm suddenly realizing this, and this is maybe a good uh, transition. Has Taylor Swift done a Super Bowl halftime? Mm. I don't know. Google that, Jim. I am Googling that. Uh, uh, I don't think so. Okay, because now I believe, interesting, you're already hearing people speculating that it should be Taylor Swift or Rihanna or um, I don't think... They've tried to get Rihanna. She's told them no repeatedly. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is with Taylor Swift, but this is a great segue. 
Yeah. All right. So first of all, yeah, that, that would seem like the most natural comparison there. So you watched the the big Netflix series on her or, or <laughs> special Miss Americana yes. or something or. Yes, it's called Miss Americana. And it is a documentary that is all about Taylor Swift. And it starts and mixes in new footage and concert footage and backstage footage along with things that her friends have clearly and family have videotaped over the years of performances, along with a lot of kind of like those forced confessional type situations where mm-hmm. she's sitting there talking directly into the camera and explaining the life of Taylor Swift. And as I mentioned, it's called Miss Americana. It's getting some buzz um, primarily because Taylor Swift decided to go bravely political in this, you know, um, being super brave by saying things that everyone in the media says and doing everything that everyone does, and then being super excited when the media stands up and applauds her for her behavior. Um, And so I decided to watch it against my better reservations for you people, (laughs) because I felt like if I didn't watch it for you, there was no way I was going to get Jim to watch it. And so there you go. Mickey's and jumping on that grenade. Yeah, I did. I jumped on the grenade for all of us. One thing you should know is it's only 125 minutes. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I don't know how many scenes I could watch of just watching Taylor's back walk down a hallway in and out of a concert. But it felt like if they could have cut those minutes out, we probably could have had like a half hour film here. Um, there was a lot of Taylor's back walking in and out of concerts. There was a, you know, a random amount of footage, like I said, mixed in. But the message that she was trying to tell was that, you know, she's been in the spotlight all this time and, you know, and she's tried to be what everybody wanted her to be. And then she just felt like, Jim, she had to break out and do something else entirely, which just happens to coincide with a new album, which just so happens to coincide with the documentary, which just happens to coincide with the 2008 election, which just happens to coincide with all of this free publicity she got. So. So here's the problem I have. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift. This is how, what I came out of it with. Taylor Swift is an exceptionally talented songwriter. She's an exceptionally talented musician. She can do things with her voice and in her head. Like, you can tell she hears the music in her head and then makes it come out, which is, I, I love watching someone do that. To me, that's a true gift. That's a talent. However, she needs more people around her telling her, maybe, maybe don't put all this out. Because in watching this film, it made me think she was more self-obsessed than I thought going in. She legitimately feels like everything in the world revolves around her. And she was very upset when she won a grant, one of her most recent Grammys. And she realized she had no one to call. And I'm like, so you don't have any friends? Like that's a lot about you, not necessarily about like them. And that's one of the things you kind of find out is she doesn't have a whole lot of people around her that she doesn't pay to be there. Um, She does have a couple friends, but it's very much like the, the entire documentary is Taylor explaining Taylor to you. And she uses a lot of I, me <laughs> in all of it. And in speaking about her mom's cancer, she said, my mom got breast cancer. And I want to be as close to this as I can on a real quote in that she said, <clears throat> she got cancer. It was really hard on me. I had a hard time dealing with it. And, and she, I was like, it didn't have anything to, like, she never really mentioned, she then went, proceeded on to her next paragraph about herself, but it wasn't like there was anything deeper about her and 
<laughs> mom. It was just about her and how she feels about everything. And she talks about, you know, getting involved in the 2018 Tennessee Senate race. And she felt like if she got involved, that she could cause Marsha Blackburn to lose. And yeah. nope. she, she was seemingly <laughs> devastated to find out that she didn't have that kind of pull in the world. Um, however, was very pleased to find out that everyone in the, you know, the media and the political world was patting her on the back. Now, why this is ironic is that she begins the, sh- the documentary by explaining to us the, you know, rubes at home that she has struggled her entire life because all she lives for is acceptance and praise. And when people are unaccepting of her or do not clap and do not give her praise, um, she talks about the Kanye incident. And when he got up and, you know, said that Beyonce deserved the award and how people were booing and she didn't know if they were booing him or booing her. And she thought they were booing her and she was all upset and crushed by this. And so the, her journey, as she explains it, is getting to a point where she no longer cares, Jim. She no longer cares what other people think. She's going to speak her mind. And if her mind just happens to be exactly the narrative that the media likes to hear, <laughs> then that's what it's going to be, Jim, damn it. And no one's going to stop her. Yeah. There was a scene with her sitting down with two of her managers and her dad where she proceeds to say that she's going to make this announcement, you know, and she's going to endorse Blackburn's competition. And and she's like all on it. And they're like, no, mm -mm, you shouldn't do that. And she's like, yeah, I have to do this. I'm going to do this. And they're like, yeah, if we came to you and said, Taylor, we have this great idea and we're going to immediately isolate half of your audience and they're never going to come back. Do you think that you would think that was a good idea? And she's say, like, suppose, she had 100 yeah. percent faith in her fans. I will give her this, that that would not happen. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with her career long term and neither does she. But I think she has a very warped sense of self, I think that it becomes very clear that when she's trying to speak with authority in this documentary specifically, that's when you can hear the fear in her voice the most. Hmm. And so there are moments of this where you're watching it and you're like, I get why she put it out. I get what she thinks she's done here. But once again, as the documentary doesn't always tell the story that the documentarian starts out telling, when you watch this, I think you definitely do see Taylor Swift as the exceptionally talented, gifted woman that she is. But you also see her as someone who is so absolutely isolated and self-obsessed that her world is about as far as she can see. I was going to say, here's the thing. I, I'm, it's very easy for you and I to beat up on left of center celebrities. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> at some point, this is going to be inevitable we're, we're going to have to, you know, uh, metaphorically knock her around a little bit. I will point out when you grow up, because she, she became a star when she was, what, 13 or 14? 13. Right. When you've been at first the center of the country music world and then the center of the music world and then eventually the center of the pop culture world mm-hmm. for your entire. And she's now 30. Well, yes. When she filmed this, she was 29. So she's 30 now. All right. You know, like you've spent more than half your life in the fishbowl. Every move you make, endlessly dissected. Every decision How much you do you make. even remember in your life before you're like a teenager? Yeah, I know. Um, uh, it's my understanding, based on this documentary, that she started writing music when she was six. Yeah. If, you know, again, Taylor Swift has not, not had anything resembling the normal human experience. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if she did not respond to things like a, a parent getting cancer and, you know, she wouldn't respond to it the way a, a quote unquote normal human being would. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think, you know, what do you, know, I, I think if you are one of the biggest stars in the whole wide world, it's probably very hard to not have any narcissistic tendencies. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, What's really interesting was when she gets into the fight between her and Kanye and you see a lot of her, it's a lot of backstage footage of her, as I said, doing songwriting and the lead up. And that's probably the most interesting part of the documentary is actually seeing her develop these songs and write the songs, and seeing how she clearly expresses herself through these words mm-hmm. and through these songs. And that's her vehicle of expression that she's exceptionally good at. But again, it was interesting when she was fighting with Kanye West and calling him a narcissist. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, in her well, songs, and you're like... <clears throat> Mickey, let's go back in time. Okay. To tell everyone responding at that time. Democrats, by the year 2020, you're going to love Taylor Swift. Huh? Republicans, by the year 2020, you're going to love Kanye West. Right? <laughs> hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Um, but again, this just tells you absurd our pop culture and actual world is at times. Um, but yes, yeah, so Miss Americana, I would say as far as a thumbs up or thumbs down, unless you are a Taylor Swift super fan, I do not recommend it. Um, I don't think that most grownups could sit through it. I could be wrong. I will be dying to hear from all of the Swifties that will no doubt fill my mentions as they do every time I say something that's not 100% positive about Taylor Swift. <laughs> I was gonna say, first of all, I imagine projects like this are kind of driven by an intense level of public curiosity, not just by her super fans, of which there mm-hmm. are many, um, but also amongst other people who, you know, who look at, you know, it's an interview with Taylor Swift, look at it and say, okay, what's she really like? Right. Like mm-hmm. she's on the one hand, the mo- one of the most relentlessly covered people, pictures on cover of magazine all the time, um, you know, always on television. You know, like on the one hand, she's one of the biggest stars in the world. But there's that sense of we don't really know what she's like. I would like to say that after watching this documentary, I don't feel like I knew her that much better. Right, interesting. Right. I mean, that, that sense that um, mm-hmm. and again, to the you know, I suspect I- that people who follow her like closely and follow her Instagram and whatever social media posts she does probably knew half of this information before any of it was seen because it looks like she was posting a lot of it throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not, as you know, I'm not a Taylor Swift super fan. So some of this information was new to me. I think a super fan would still enjoy it. But again, it's just it's not specific. It's not particularly um, revealing. In the ways that I think she yeah. hoped it would be. Let's put it that way. Well, the next one question is, what are we expecting to see in something like this? You know, the, the real Taylor Swift. Are we expecting her to be, you know, breaking down in tears? Are we expecting her to be, you know, like that maybe what you see behind the scenes when, you know, all the cameras are away, when the media is not, when, when Taylor's just being. Yeah, but you got the distinct impression with this that. Even when the cameras are off, the cameras are on. Well, that's what I'm saying is that there is yeah. no other Taylor Swift. There is right. no this is it. This this is it. You know that she's mm-hmm. the same. But you know, uh, I think so. And that's probably both. You know, like to some people, it's probably disappointment in the sense, particularly in the sense of like looking for that, believing that there's some secret side that if we looked hard enough, we would find. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just in general, like I, you know, it's been interesting how you know once she went through, started going through the the boyfriends like tissue paper right mm-hmm. this like that there was this again i don't think she ever really got that negative coverage 
No. However, I, I mean, like compared to like. However, my it's very clear that any negative coverage she sees as a slight, as do her fans. Yes. And they go ballistic. Yeah. Couple and again, the- I think it's because of her reaction. I think she leads that. Um, she tends to, even in the documentary, like she's very reactionary about things, whether to the good or bad. I think that's just and, part of her artistic nature, if you will. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that we, almost all of us, go through life and we have ups and downs. And we have some days where life just kicks us in the crotch, right? Where we're, you know, um, career disappointments, breakups, you know, all that kind of stuff. Taylor Swift, by the time she turned 18, like I think that she had done some sketch in front of a, maybe a country music awards or something with, I want to say like Jeff Foxworthy or something. Or mm-hmm. no, no, it was Bill Engvall. Okay. Okay. And the joke Swift wishes to get, right? That she had the power to, you know, if she, you know, she's like, it's my dream and poof, it would happen, right? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a way of explaining her, you know, rocket-like stratospheric, you know, rise in country music. And it was kind of funny, but it was also a sense of like, if you have most of your formulative years being one astonishing triumph after another. Mm-hmm. That when you have a breakup, and it's with another celebrity, Jonas Brothers or whoever one of the ones were, you know, and the coverage says they're broken up and Taylor's a bitch, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where, where the coverage is suddenly negative. Like, you, you haven't had any of those other rough moments in life to kind of get you through it, you know, and it probably just feels like the most devastating and painful oh, thing you could have. Oh, definitely, definitely. And and again, one of the most difficult parts about this this documentary is her discussion of her obsession and compulsion to need that praise from the crowd and mm-hmm. from her fans. And when she does not get it, how badly she responds. I mean, it wasn't, you know, and, look what you made me do, right? right. I mean, like the, the, a lot of these songs are very direct. She has a very complicated relationship with her fans. Mm-hmm. And, and she has a very complicated relationship. Like is her songwriting is beautiful and she certainly expresses herself well through that. However, I think that, you know, once again, she might have been onto something when she very early in her career said that she didn't feel like people probably wanted to hear from her about their political opinions because, you know, they came to be entertained. Mm-hmm. She should have stuck with that. Yeah, again, the, if, if, first, I, I hope she went into this knowing what the risks were. Again, but, but I've, What are the risks, is, though? There are no risks. There are zero risks for her in this because the media is going to support her position as far as what she says politically. And her fans are going to support her regardless. She's not going to convert any, like, one that's a non-Taylor Swift fan, except for possibly, like, I guess, hardcore Democrats that didn't already listen to Taylor Swift. I don't know. Um, say, but it's just, think- like, it's it's a very, it's very much like, this was, it's almost like an extended music video mm. for her fans, more than it is a true documentary. I, I was about to say, do you think there's been any um, significant difference in her level of fan support or anything since uh, since since 2018? I don't think there has been. And not a significant amount. Um, in fact, in 2019, she won um, several awards for her newer album, Lover, I think it was called. But just you know, noting for what it's worth that the Grammys were a few weeks ago and she didn't show up. She was nominated, but she didn't win in any categories. And a lot of people felt like she didn't show up because she knew she wasn't going to win. Yeah, I you know. Maybe the issue of this, maybe this is ready for a really good transition. Mm-hmm. 
right, so maybe Taylor Swift has done almost everything there is to do in uh, in the music world. Mm-hmm. Right? She's won all the Grammys. She's won mm-hmm. all the you know like that's this. She, you know, when you you've effectively conquered the music world. I mean, if she wanted to go into acting, she could do acting. She could do. Well, I'm assuming this is going to get her an Oscar. This will be this will be her Oscar role here. Um, she'll get some type of you know for an independent film producing credit, something something. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that that's how these things usually work. I think that's how Beyonce won hers. Um, that's usually the Oscars will come up with some type of way to reward those that choose to cross over and do something in film. And obviously she's not going to win shit for cats. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. But again, that came and went, right. That was, yep. you know, I, I don't think that really is going to be a serious, you know, like, you know, like every, almost everybody who went into that is going to come out with their careers intact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So, so as we start to say with people who've done everything yes. is Taylor Swift to music, what Gwyneth Paltrow is to acting. Mm. I just, yeah. uh, for a long time listeners are, are one of our our earliest and favorite punching bags mm-hmm. with also a goop except while we've been doing this podcast Mickey I don't mean just mean today I mean like since we started years ago Gwyneth Paltrow and goop has only become bigger and more successful and now now it's got a Netflix series right yes they have given her a Netflix series it is called the goop lab with Gwyneth Paltrow and as you guys know, those of us who have been listening for a while, we make fun of her all the time because, well, quite frankly, she's very easy to make fun of. And um, she has grown, as Thomas said, a significant amount since we first started mocking her. And, you know, maybe we should take some credit for that, Jim. We've brought a lot of attention to her and to Goop, you know, and who knows? I significantly doubt that any of our listeners would ever admit to purchasing any of her products, but you never know. Maybe they are out there buying the candles that are scented like her vagina. Um, which was a really popular item a few weeks ago. <laughs> and I, I don't fact, know whether it's like sold out. Well, is is, is is that people who are like, oh, that sounds wonderful or oh, that sounds so romantic or is it just kind of like a, okay, I got to buy that just to see what that smells like. <laughs> you know, that, that sense of uh, this is so otherworldly and weird and bizarre um, that has, again, this started out as making fun of this rich Hollywood actress and her catalog of ludicrously expensive and unappealing gifts. And it, like, making probably the best way of describing this, like, it's as if Gwyneth Paltrow had a nervous breakdown and it only, and it just, everything worked out well for her. Yes. Yes. Well, and again, she is, she is also of Hollywood royalty. And so never forget that she had a pretty good starting point to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but do recall, there was a period in time where Gwyneth seemed like she was going off her rocker a little bit before Goop became really popular. It seemed like she might be going through some things. Yeah. And then suddenly she comes out and she's, you know, she's kind of transformed from actress into what? She's a guru now of sorts. Yeah. Um, Certainly mogul, certainly cultural figure, you know, like she's now almost more famous for the Goop stuff. Than for her, her increasingly smaller and smaller roles in the Marvel movies or doing mo- other movies and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And so I, once again, taking one for the team, as I do for you people, not like the Fire Festival guy, but someone entirely different. Mm-hmm. I sat down and committed to watching the Goop Labs that are on. And the good news is, people, is that they're only 30 minutes long. 
The bad news is that they are somehow a cross between a infomercial that you'd see at about three o'clock in the morning and a cult recruitment video. Do you remember? Do you remember them showing the clips of Allison Mack talking to that cult leader from Nexium, Renier, or whatever his name was? Yes. Okay. The IXM or whatever. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Okay. You remember the clips from that where they like show them intensely discussing things and oh. and you could tell like she's just overjoyed with his responses and and intrigued by his answers. I, I would urge listeners if you have not watched it and you're interested in the topic of cults, go seek this out. I'm sure it's up on YouTube or somewhere. And Allison Mack, who was you know Chloe Sullivan on Smallville for all those years. She's talking to the guy who's the cult leader. But I, and mm-hmm. I think what makes this really stand out is you can tell that she, she's just beaming from her face. She is utterly overjoyed by, mm-hmm. by having this conversation. The best parallel that I can come up with, which might fit for some listeners, maybe not for others, is it's as if Jesus came along and just said, hey, you want to sit down and do an interview? It is real. Or, or you know, if, if the Dalai Lama is what does it for you, if, you know, maybe Jennifer Lopez is what does it, you know, whoever you think is the most amazing person in the world is sitting down with you and saying, hey, here's how I figured out how to, you know, how life works. And she's just overjoyed. And mm-hmm. you all, it's much it's, more like Jesus is sitting down with her. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is. And the thing is, it's you, you might be like, oh, my God, that sounds so disturbing. It's almost a little bit envious, like whatever. Like clearly, this guy's bad news and branding. This is, a, this is a really screwed up. But at the same time, she has found something that makes her utterly happy. Well, isn't that the part of it being a recruitment video, though? As you're watching it, you're supposed to believe that this actress, who's yeah, probably I, acting. I, I, um, do you think she's acting? I don't know, but I, we I, do I, know I, that you know she was selected for this for a reason, and she's done. She did very well till she ended up in jail, kind of thing. Um, however. I'm not trying to say that Gwyneth is the leader of a cult exactly, but what I will tell you. <laughs> that word exactly is doing a lot of work. <laughs> Heavy lifting by exactly there. Um, but what I will say is that the conversations, each of the, I think it's five or six episodes, are a half hour long, and they each discuss one topic. Um, one of the topics is nutrition. One of the topics is psychic awareness um one of the topics is of course sex and and more importantly it's it's like the vagina monologues come to life i'm going to come back to that one in a minute um there was one with a odd therapy where you go into jamaica and you drink mushroom tea and you experience you know psychedelic psychotherapy That was one adventure. Um, One of the other episodes involved dealing with a guy who apparently is now in Lake Tahoe, was originally from, I think, Denmark. And he's into this cold therapy and breathing therapy about how, you know, and there's a lot of actual scientific backing of believing, you know, the breathing techniques they use, like with birth control, or I'm sorry, with giving, getting ready to give birth, rather, and breathing control that goes on with that, that how that can help you maintain your pain. This guy goes on to believe that he can also help you suppress and resist disease and work your immune system and whatnot. There's another episode with a guy who works with your energy fields and, and he, he pulls your energy strings on you. And it literally looks as though these people are having an exorcism of sorts on the tables. Um, so each one of these little activity episodes is peppered with broken up conversations with Gwyneth Paltrow, 
whoever the experts are, and I'm putting air quotes, you guys can't see that, on the other of the topic or on the other side, they're actually leading these quote workshops. Everyone's putting in the work, by the way, the work is done. They have workshops, whatever your crazy idea is, if you put work in front of it or use work to describe it, mm-hmm. apparently people will buy it and spend lots of money on it. So keep that in mind, people. Um, so she's sitting there and, and it's Gwyneth Paltrow and her, I guess it's her chief editor of Goop. Um, her name is Eleanor or Eloise or something. It doesn't matter. She's in love with Gwyneth Paltrow. And she sits there and throughout, much like Alice and Mac, <laughs> in, the, in the cult videos we discussed, she would look at Gwyneth Paltrow, who she theoretically works with on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. Theoretically, this would not be a big thrill to be sitting on a couch with Gwyneth Paltrow. However, she's like, every time she talks about Gwyneth, she feels the need to mention that Gwyneth was, you know, a sex symbol at such a young age, and she's a successful actress and mother and superstar and sexy and wonderful. It's a, it's, um, it's a lot. <laughs> and there are times when you're watching and you're like, she, like, one, it makes you immediately understand why Gwyneth is the way that she is if she's surrounded by these people who do nothing but tell her how wonderful she is all day. Um, which is just exactly what was happening. And then she was blatantly unaware of the actual love that the woman was showering on her, though. You didn't seem mm-hmm. to catch that, but it was very obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a lot. And so the one episode I do want to kind of hone in on here is obviously the one that I would refer to as the updated vagina monologues, mm-hmm. where she sits down with a woman who does workshops and teaches women how to become more sexually aware and in tune with their body. Now, what's important for me about this is this woman has been teaching these quote-unquote workshops since the 70s. This woman is in her 90s. And she's giving people workshops about how to have an orgasm. Like we don't have YouTube or vibrators in our own house now. But neither here nor there, she teaches women how to find themselves sexually, including like where they drop a big light on it. And she gets really hostile because apparently their favorite word at Goop is vagina, including, my, you know, this candle smells like my vagina was their big seller. And, they, you know, they like a lot of the vagina-themed gifts. We've seen that. Um, remember, they had the little clitoris you could buy and put on a necklace, the little gold one. Um, there were some other things that we discussed that, you know, they seemed to have an obsession. And, in fact, this one was very angry with Gwyneth because she told Gwyneth that the vagina was actually just the birth canal. And what she needed to be in love with was the vulva. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, and then they decided they have this, like, very serious discussion about, like, can we talk about this? But we have to show it, right? We have to show it. We can't just talk about it. And you can't just show one because then people will think that's just what they all look like. So we have to show a bunch of them. So they then did what I would call the vulva slash clitoris monologue, or montage, rather. And it was... Just one right after another, flashing in front of you in bright lights and fully color pictures and was completely um, unnecessary. But I now know that they all look really different and weird. So there you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this old woman from the 70s, once again, is teaching young women and everyone how to do this. And they're being workshopped on and learning how to sit around naked in a circle with other women and be comfortable with their bodies and their vulvas. And they even practice masturbating in front of it. And in fact, the, 
climax of the episode is them actually having a woman have an orgasm, a real one, on air. While the old woman coaches her through it with a big light. Mickey, that's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, Jim Garrity. I, uh, so bring this full circle. Because <laughs> I, I got, I'm not going, I'm not touching that metaphorically or literally. I'm not <laughs> going deeper into that metaphorically or literally. Um, just an observation, like what I said, that you know, the, the Gwyneth Paltrow, right? You know, big Hollywood star at a young age. Mm. Uh, since they're, you and I were observing, she, you know, since really the you know mid '90s or so, right? You know, Shakespeare in Love, Sliding Doors, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Miramax Queen, which oh by the way was being run by Harvey Weinstein, uh, you know, which of was, course her boyfriend Bad Pitt got into a fight with Harvey right? Weinstein, so but, you know, it, it's it, you know indisputable, right? You know, they, while probably having been one of a either a Weinstein victim or an intended Weinstein victim or having had some, you know, unpleasant experiences with them. She also was like, the, you know, Miramax and Harvey Weinstein did a heck of a lot for her career. And she's done the big Marvel movies. You know, she's mm-hmm. done small independent films. She's gotten the Academy Award. She's done, I mean, like she's done almost, you, you put, if you give an ambitious actress a, a checklist of things they want to do, Gwyneth Paltrow has done just about all of them, right? Yeah. So, you know, just about every kind of film. So I kind of wonder, you know, people, what, what is she doing with Goop? Is she having some sort of nervous breakdown? You know, maybe in terms of acting, she's done most of what she wants to do. And now she ha- what do you move on to next? Well, she's a mogul now. She's got this catalog uh, company that's, you know, apparently doing gangbusters. But also, like, you're like, you said, oh, this is almost like a cult leader. Mickey, what if cult leader is the next natural step? <laughs> <laughs> Like I've 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 reached the apex of fortune and fame and all that kind of stuff. Now it's time to become a, a Maharashi, you know, guru who not only who gives people advice on all topics and who is seen as an expert on all things. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like that, you know, it's kind of disturbing, but you know. yes. And and while I like to highlight, obviously, the hilarious sex episode, um, the other episodes were just as ridiculous with their own topics. Um, I, I'm sure that you could find some good information in there, but what I felt was that it was mostly just bad science backed up with piss poor research and then quotes pulled out of thin air. Like studies have shown, they don't have a list of what study or, <laughs> you know, there's no citations, things of that nature. Um, and there are always people involved in the conversation from Goop who are, they've got MSs after their names so that you know that they're serious. <laughs> Really? And they ask serious scientific questions, but like it felt at times it felt very scripted because there was a girl during the vagina monologue episode that said that she learned everything she knew about sexuality from an encyclopedia. Now, this girl could not have been more than 23, 24. So I don't yeah, Mickey, it's a terrible have encyclopedias then. Yeah, Mickey, it's a terrible shame that she had never had a chance to watch a Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> Right. But I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Like, this is like, this is 2020. Women do not need to be taught any of this. We got you. Unfortunately, American society is very repressed, very uptight, and it's very hard to find information. 
Yes, exactly. I'm like, oh, my God. And again, I also found myself very concerned about her staffers because they were the guinea pigs in a lot of this. Like, I'm sure they volunteered and signed waivers and whatever. But my concern lies not in necessarily what Gwyneth had them do, but about their general health, because every single one of her staffers that was spoken to on camera discussed how they had severe anxiety issues and severe anxiety disorders. And then you could not help but notice in one of the outings specifically where some of the staffers were in their swimsuits out in the snow rolling around um, to test out the whole cold theory was that at least two of them appeared to have an actual eating disorder. And like the kind where you could see like the bones and whatnot. Okay. And that wasn't being discussed at all. So again, you know, sometimes we document things we didn't necessarily mean to. I was about to say, uh, one of, you know, it is nice to have the listeners that we have. I think it's pretty clear that we don't have a cult-like following. Yes. I'm comfortable with that. My sense is that if you go to work for Goop, you're going to work because you you believe in Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. as a you know if a in a quasi messianic fashion right this 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 utter belief that uh, whoever this is is you know that that this is someone who you believe in the products you believe in the philosophy you believe in the themes and exploration you know like if you have any doubts about it you don't go to work for for Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, so, no, you have yes. to be committed. Yeah, right. I definitely think that's part of the deal. Is and that if you, you can, you know, I mean, committed well, to this. I mean, like there was there was a cult like atmosphere at Apple under Steve Jobs, right? So now take somebody who's a ho- glamorous Hollywood star, mm-hmm. put them in charge of a much smaller company, and my guess is that yes, you will probably get one both fanatical loyalty, and also you're probably going to attract people who are really look who really want somebody to believe in in life, right? Nobody's going to go to work because for goop because they want just another job. I would also like to ask someone in the know if makeup is banned at Goop or if people just choose not to wear it and choose not to wax their eyebrows. But I would like to recommend that they change that policy (laughs) and that they start doing better with their eyebrows and with their makeup, because especially if a camera is going to be on you. And I know that you're not supposed to say that, but I don't care. I don't care. If you work at Goop, you know you're making good money. These people are beauty editors. They work for a beauty brand. They should look good. They shouldn't look like normal people. I don't care. And the whole idea of running around with no makeup on and natural is beautiful, like, that's not true if the camera's on you. I don't care who does. Am I correct that this is actually a, like, you know, that, that if you have somebody who's walking around who doesn't have makeup on or something like that, then their purpose in the, in, in the story, so to speak, in this presentation is to be the one people relate to. Mm-hmm. Right? Correct. Yes. Yes. That's Everyone's to relate to them, the and that's why it looks like even in the filming of this, Gwyneth ends up coming out looking like a guru slash angel slash Sinvali character. Right. Sinvali character. Yeah. Everybody who shows cold up is killing me. Play, yeah. yeah, is ready to play their part. Is ready mm-hmm. to you know, uh, is ready to need that you know sense of you know I, I I have problems in my life, Gwyneth Paltrow. Please please help me solve them. Yes. Please show me the way. And yes. you know, there are a lot of people who are very, you know, like you know, like very comfortable in that role, in part because you know this quasi-submissive, lost soul needing guidance kind of you know persona, it fits for everybody who has this sense of like, um, you know, what well, you're 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 close to fame, 
Mm-hmm. Right? You know, five feet Gwyneth, from fame, right? Gwyneth has chosen you to be a follower, right? She has validated you. And you mm-hmm. validate her, right? This mm-hmm. is this cycle of, I don't yeah. So yeah, oh no, you the, can see how it happens. Yeah, deep and dark. And you can see it happening before your very eyes if you choose to in watching any of these episodes. It is, like I said, it's really an interesting um, look at Goop um, and the people who work there and their weird ideas. And of course, you know, like it's all in good fun. Um, but I will tell you this: they have gotten into trouble already because they claim a lot of things are scientifically proven. Um, they claim a lot of things um, that already, the, I'm sure you guys are shocked, the scientific community has come out and said that's not true. Um, that's not scientific. So there is a disclaimer at the beginning of it, but I, it really is interesting to me how much she's starting to position and present herself as an expert on these yeah. things. You know what I mean? Like kind of, she may not be the expert. She's do, she's kind of Oprahizing it. Yeah. Where she's bringing the experts into her fold. And again, you know, most of us can't tell the difference between a real expert and a fake expert. Right. And you know, most of us, like again, so, you know, for anybody listening to this podcast, talk to your doctor, talk to somebody you you know you genuinely trust. Celebrities don't know what your life is about. Correct. So. Yes. Oh, Mickey, this well, is a full show. This it has been, been a full uh, show, and, and I know we need to wrap up here. I do want to really quickly thank our listeners. Uh, for those of you who do not know, and for those of you who have been praying for us. Um, Mr. Bias was diagnosed with cancer earlier this month, um, well, actually in the month of January, so earlier this year. And um, some of you are aware of that. We are going through the process now. I'm trying to keep people updated as we go through the testing. But I do want to say thank you to the many listeners who have reached out to me to pass along prayers or good vibes or good thoughts. And we certainly appreciate all of that and certainly do hope to continue to have those from you as we move through the treatment process. I was going to say, Mickey, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I never know whether I should bring this up or inquire or, you know, whether it comes across as haranguing, you know. <laughs> I try really hard to to let people know what's going on without, you know, you know me. I'm not really, as much as I share, I'm actually not someone who likes to share a lot about my personal life. And so um, this is something that I, you know, certainly I appreciate the the love and support that that we're getting and I'm basically reaching out because, you know, I know we can't do it alone. It's going to take a lot of our friends and family to um, support us and get us through this. So certainly appreciate the prayers and support from the listeners as well. You and Mr. Biased are surrounded by a lot of love. And I think that will hopefully get you guys through what uh, could be a bumpy And we feel it. And we feel it. Yes. And we feel it and we appreciate it. And we are also surrounded by, oh, my God, we went over by only like 35 minutes this time. So we did a show that was over an hour and a half this time around. I think it's good to wrap. We are going to try to, as we always say, get back to you as soon as possible. Schedules being as they are with the crazy political season, as you know, our gym is out there traveling like the intrepid reporter that he is. So we will try to get him on lock for these things. Um, but we do enjoy you sticking with us and staying with us. And one of the easiest ways to keep up with us is to go ahead and just hit subscribe now, wherever you're listening to T-Jams, whether that's on iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever podcasts that you podcatcher that you lose. Um, go ahead and hit subscribe. And then whenever we have a new one out, It'll automatically pop into your feed and you won't have to worry about ever missing one ever. And as I said, you can find us at SoundCloud and iTunes and wherever you listen. Just search hashtag TJAMS, that's T-J-A-M-S, or search The Jim and Mickey Show. You can always find us on Twitter. I am at Bias Girl. He's at Jim Garrity. And you have been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey Show. <laughs>